life is just so amazing. And we're hearing this, this thing about Joseph. Uh, we're at a place where he reveals himself to his brothers. But I want you to see as we're looking through it, that there's a whole lot about fathers and fatherhood in this passage. And we're going to see some things we can learn about fatherhood today. I'm going to ask if you would please stand at this time as we um, begin reading chapter 45 of Genesis with verse 1. And we're really covering the whole chapter with this sermon, but we may not read all the way through it, but we'll talk about it. And by the way, just remember, Joseph up to this point has been testing his brothers. They hadn't seen him in 12 or 13 years. They, they thought, think he's dead somewhere because they sold him into slavery. They have no idea that this powerful official in front of them has actually been their brother Joseph. <clears throat> then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. And then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And these two years of the famine have been in the land, and there's still five more in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me tarry, made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and God, we're just so, so thankful um, for your blessings to us. And God, you do some stuff in our lives sometimes that seems really weird, and, and we just don't get it. And sometimes you tell us to do certain things, and we do them, and, and God, things turn out differently because we don't have the, the big picture like you do. But God, I thank you that you're in control. And I thank you that you are a heavenly father and you set a pattern for us as earthly fathers. God, we pray and ask that you would just use this to touch us, to build us, to draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So the story so far was all about how Joseph been sold into slavery. Brothers thought he was a brat. They couldn't stand him. They wanted to kill him. They said, ah, we'll opt for not touching him with our own hands. We'll sell him to slavery. They haven't seen him for years and years and years. And in that period of time, as he was sold into slavery, God has blessed him. He first becomes ruler over the house of Potiphar, who was the captain of the king's guard. 
and, and, and he's getting all this experience in management, and, and, and he's just being blessed and blessed and blessed. But then this unfortunate situation, this horrible situation where he becomes falsely accused by Potiphar's wife happens, and he goes from being at the top of this man's household to being thrown in prison. But then God works again, and he comes up, and before long, he's running the prison. The prison warden basically says, Joseph, you run things better than I ever could, so here you go. You got everything, you just can't walk outside, but you're in control of everything in here. And eventually, he interprets some dreams for two men that the Pharaoh had imprisoned. And the Pharaoh had thrown this, this baker and, and this butler or cupbearer, some translations say. He'd thrown them both in the prison. They had dreams, and Joseph interpreted them correctly. So two years later, when they're out of prison and they were supposed to, or the one of them who, who lived, the cupbearer, was supposed to remember Joseph and he forgot all about it. But two years later, when, when this dream comes upon Pharaoh and it troubles him, he doesn't know what to do. And, and all of a sudden, he says, oh, the cupbearer says, oh, I should have remembered something. I should have said something before now. But by the way, there's this innocent guy sitting in prison, and he has the ability to interpret dreams. Joseph interprets these dreams to the Pharaoh and tells him, hey, there's seven years of plenty coming. That is bumper crop overflowing. In fact, if you don't start building extra warehouses and grain silos and everything else, you're going to lose this abundant crop because it's going to be so much. But after that, seven years of famine are coming and there will be nothing. I mean, it's just going to be like a dust bowl and it's going to be terrible. And he says, and my one other piece of extra advice, Pharaoh, is find a really great guy and let him take care of all this stuff so that they can save so everyone won't starve during the famine years. Pharaoh says, you're the guy. You interpreted the dream. God is with you, apparently. And he raises him up to this high level. And so the famine hits the whole land. So He's down in Egypt. His brothers are up in, in Palestine or the Canaanite area. And the famine hits that whole region. And they have nothing to eat. And they end up sending some, the brothers go down to get some food. And Joseph starts this testing stuff where he tries to see what their hearts have. They changed? Are they really sorry for what they did? What are they about? And we ended up last week with them, him really saying, hey, these guys are for real. They are sorry. They are grieved by what they've done. And he reveals himself uh, to them at this point. And I, I love how he's just, the Bible describes it as being almost overwhelmed. He, he can't take it anymore. Joseph is a straightforward, honest kind of guy. That's his normal nature. And he's, been, he's had this whole facade up. He's been playing a part this whole time with his brothers right in front of them. And he cannot take it anymore. And he finally says, get out of here. Get everybody out of here. And they all start to scamper away. Not you guys, though. And they're all gone. All the Egyptians have fled. And yet the Bible says, even though they were all out of there, he starts weeping so loudly that even though they're out of the room, they all hear about it. Something crazy is going on. I mean, this was not, this was not the silent little, you know, tearful. This is an ugly cry, folks. I mean, this is just everything, snotty nose, weeping. And he just, he just says, I'm Joseph. It's me. And they're like, 
<laughs> the processing of this. It's, it's just kind of mind-blowing. Okay? You know, we think about today, what about all the T-shirts that, are, that you've seen that say, Luke, I am your father. Okay, this is like back then if they did T-shirts, he'd be like, dudes, I am your brother. Okay, because this was this huge shocker in this story where they're all, their minds are blown. I mean, they can't believe the brother they thought was dead is actually second in command over all of Egypt. And, and he said, and they're just stunned and they can't move. And he says, come closer. Come closer to me. You know, and I, I understand what Joseph felt like because they're probably standing off at this respectful distance. And it's kind of like sometimes as a preacher, you walk into a sanctuary and there's like 10 rows empty. And, you know, who is this reserved for? Everybody's at the back and I want to say, move forward. You know, he's like, move forward, come close. He's like, I imagine he had kind of kept them a distance so they wouldn't recognize him. And so he said, come close. You remember? And the Bible doesn't tell us all the details, but I kind of imagine being guys. He says, hey, you see that scar? Remember that time you beat me with the stick when I was six because I smarted off? And you remember that? That's me. And, you know, he, he proved to himself that I'm really your brother. And the Bible says that he first went to his brother Benjamin, and he kissed him, and it says he wept all over. Remember, I said this is an ugly cry, okay? And the Bible says each one of his brothers after Benjamin, he goes and he kisses them, and he weeps all over them. I mean, later on, he gives them new clothes, and I'm thinking it's because he feels bad. He ruined the clothes they had, the way he cried all over them. And, and, and here he is, and they, get, they see that, hey, Remember how we said Joseph forgave? Here's proof of Joseph's forgiveness. He wasn't ready to reveal himself. So he got, ha, 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 I've got you now. You're going to suffer. He says, I'm your brother that you threw into slavery. Come here and give me a hug. I want to love on you. I, I've missed you. You see, the sin was not forgotten, but it was long ago forgiven. Not forgotten, but forgiven. So many people come to me and say, Brother Tim, I, I, I'm having this trouble with my spiritual life. I know we're supposed to forgive and forget, but I can't forget. Guess what? There is no verse in the Bible that says forgive and forget. Nowhere does it say that. You know, if you take that saying the right way in that you know, the Bible talks about God remembering your sins no more. That, that translated literally means God's not going to bring it up anymore. In other words, every time you do something wrong, God's not going to look at you and say, uh-huh, just like you did the last time and the time before that and the time before that. Some of you know that type of feeling. You have arguments with certain friends, certain family members, and they like to bring up that past and, you know, rub it in and rub it in. Now, God's not like that. And Joseph here, he's not rubbing this in, though. You know, he, he doesn't want them to think he's an amnesiac, that he's forgot all about it. It's like, yeah, guys, that happened. You did, you did a thing, a bad thing. But guess what? It was actually a God thing. Because God was in all of it in a way that you didn't understand. You didn't realize, but God was actually in everything that happened. And he was using it to preserve his people. And by the way... Throughout history, 
different nations, different people, different circumstances were, were used to come against the Jewish people because God was going to bless all nations through them, and Satan didn't want that to happen, and they would try to destroy him. But you know what? Every time, God would provide a way. God would say, here's a way. You're going to be preserved. I'm going to take care of you because my plan is through this little puny nation that nobody even thought of as all that great. I chose them out of my grace, and I'm going to bring a Messiah who's going to bless the whole world. And this is just one of many times in the Old Testament how we see where God preserved his plan to bring salvation, to bring blessing to this world. And so there he was, and, and they say, Oof. I mean, I, I can just imagine they're, they're probably still you ever hug somebody and they don't really hug back, you know, you're, you're oh, and they're like, oh. and, and it's just, they're probably doing this number, right? Oh, okay, Joseph, cry on me all you want, but don't kill me, you know. They realize he could do whatever he wanted to them, but he doesn't. I mean, he just, he just loves them. And he ends up telling them, look, God has blessed me. God's put me in this amazing position with Pharaoh and, and, and like built me up and God's done this for his plans. He's allowed this to happen. I didn't get it back then. And, and I wondered why. And you guys, you've sat here in guilt and shame, in secret guilt and shame, festering in your hearts all these years. He says, I want you to, man, listen, I forgive you. Let God forgive you. You know, Move on. You see, the, the kind of brother that's really a brother, the kind that really loves is the kind of person that doesn't want to hold on to that one piece of power of unforgiveness that I'm hanging over your head and I'm, I'm reminding you. No, the, the brother that God wants us to be to one another is the kind of brother that says, yeah, that was a thing. Guess what? That's in the past. And God's worked through that thing anyway. And, and and he goes on and he says, look, bring my father. Bring him on up. And, and, and the Pharaoh hears about this plan. These are the next few verses we didn't read in the chapter. The Pharaoh hears all about this. That, hey, there's, there's a rumor going around that Joseph's brothers are here. And, and he hears about it. And he says, hey, take, take a few uh, donkey loads. Some, pull, pull about eight or ten carts. And all the best uh, things that you can imagine and it was funny, I was reading, I like to read different translations when I'm studying. And, and so I was reading, uh, one of the translations said, the, don't worry about your possessions. And another one said, don't worry about your material things. Or another one said, don't worry about the goods you have. And, and they were talking about, he, they didn't need to bring their old junk because they were going to have the best stuff in Egypt. And I went back to the King James because I thought this will be a really big word. And it said, don't worry about your stuff. So I was like, wow, in 1611, they had the word stuff. You know, I just thought that was a, a new word that we use for things. But no matter what it is, he said, I got all the best here. Don't worry about your old junk. Bring the new stuff. And so they go back. And by the way, Joseph looks at his brothers. When he sends them out, he says, hey, don't you have a fallen out? Don't you have a falling out? Don't you squabble? Don't you quarrel? Don't you fuss on the way back? Doesn't he know his brothers? He knows that the moment they get out of his presence, they're going to say, I told y'all not to throw him into that pit. You know, uh, you know what are, how are we going to explain this to dad? And he, he just says, don't fuss. Don't fight. 
And again, he's saying, I've forgiven you. Now it's time for you to forgive one another, forgive yourselves, and move on. And they get down, down or really back up. They get back up to where Jacob is. And they, the Bible tells us at the end of this chapter that they start telling him this story. And, and, and he just, I mean, the only way I can describe it is he had a spell, okay? The Bible talks about him going stiff and then starting back. And in my mind as I'm reading this, because I'm a very spiritual person, I immediately think of Fred G. Sanford and his hand over his heart. Oh, Elizabeth, it's a big one, you know? That, that's kind of the picture I get of him. You're telling me my son's alive? I can't take it. And the Bible says, but he looks at these chariots full of stuff from Egypt. And, oh, okay, man, maybe this is really real. You know, and it, I was thinking about this, that the love of a son and the love of a father, something I kind of skimmed over at the beginning when he reveals himself. You know, the very first question he asks is, not what are you doing here, or why'd you do it, or why now, or anything else. You know, his first question, Joseph's first question was, is my father still alive? And guess what? His father was 130 years old. And something I've noticed in life is it doesn't matter whether, if your father's gone, it doesn't matter whether you lost him a year ago or 50 years ago. You miss him. You think of him. Just like I was back behind that dryer thinking of dad. You, you have these things that make you think of dad. And he's like, is dad still alive? He's 130. It's a good question, right? But dad was, he wanted to know he loved him so much. And then dad, Jacob himself, is like, my son, it's alive. Let me tell you. Joseph wasn't perfect, and Jacob sure wasn't perfect. The Bible tells about all the mess and all the junk, and he was not the world's best dad. <laughs> he might have had the coffee cup, the mug, but he was not the best dad, I'm telling you, okay? But guess what? You don't have to be perfect, dads. Moms as well, you don't have to be perfect. The Bible tells us that love covers a multitude of sins, and if, what, else, what else you might say about Jacob and Joseph? And they, they absolutely loved one another. And I want to encourage that type of love. Love on your dads if you still have them here. And guess what? Even if they're not still here, God's word, his message that says, honor your father and mother. See, the Bible says, obey, children, obey your parents. That's when we're little. But guess what? As we live our whole lives, even when our mothers and fathers have gone off the scene, it's still our command to honor them. And we do that once they're gone through living out lives that would honor God and honor them. I love this, this father and son who are so desperate to reunite and to see one another again. But I want to say one other thing about, about fatherhood. It's not just about... DNA. It's not just about who you are physically related to. You see, I believe that God has put something into the heart of every man that calls every single one of us to be fathers, whether or not we ever have physical children of our own. I believe he has put something in us 
to be protectors, providers, to be leaders, to shape and to mold the next generation. You may never get married, but yet God can do that. You may never have children, but yet God can use you to influence and impact the lives of others around you. I don't know if you caught it, but when Joseph was telling his brothers, I think it was somewhere between 8 and 10, somewhere in there he says, look, I think it was verse 8. He says to his brothers, the Lord has made me a father to Pharaoh. Did you catch that? He's made me a father to Pharaoh. In other words, a father figure, a mentor, an influencer. He had children of his own, Ephraim and Manasseh, which become tribes of Egypt, I mean of Israel. But he says, I'm not just father to Ephraim and Manasseh. I'm father to Pharaoh. I believe that the Pharaoh was a very young man. And even though that Joseph was only 30 when he came before the Pharaoh, I believe that the Pharaoh was actually a younger man, several years younger. And he looked up to Joseph and he saw the wisdom in him. And he said, you're the one that I want to be my guide and my pattern. And Joseph began, even though... Even though he was a foreigner, even though he was only a few years older than this guy, he begins to be a father to Pharaoh. And guys, I believe that God has called us to be influencers of those around us. Sometimes when a, when a um, uh, birthday or special holiday, whatever comes up, something doesn't come in in time. So you get the picture of it in the box. You're like, oh, this is light. And you open it up, and it's, it's just a picture. Well, I got a picture for Father's Day this year, and um, I, 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 it's okay. It's okay. This picture came from Marin, and uh, it's a T-shirt. This guy's back on the back, and he's kind of big and muscular, you know, like me. And... Uh, He's bald and tattooed and stuff, and he's pointing his fingers back to the back. And on the back of his T-shirt, it says, I don't have a stepdaughter. I have a freaking awesome daughter who happened to be born before I met her. She's stubborn, messy, and a brat at times. She's clumsy, loud, and a bit silly sometimes. But in my eyes, she's the definition of perfection and beauty. Mess with her, and they'll never find your body. And the final fine print says, yes, she bought me this shirt. (laughs) Now, I couldn't ask for something better than that. I have three amazing kids, and I'm pretty biased, but I just think they're absolutely incredible, all three of them. One of them I've known a little bit less time. But God has given me the charge and the duty and the privilege to father three kids. But even beyond that, he's given me as a man the duty to be an influence, to be a mentor, to be a leader, to influence the generations that come after me. And guys, God has given you that same charge. We live in a world of passive men who let the world just go by them. 
I mean, the, the ideal man today, you know, what do most sitcoms show dads were a joke or a wimp or abusive. We get all these horrible images of how dads shouldn't be. But God has put some images in his word of how we are supposed to be men. And it is an honorable and it is a special thing when we live up to what God has called us to be. And I want to challenge every single one of you to be that kind of man. We're never going to say we've attained. I surely haven't. But it is a goal that we strive for, that we father like the father. Pray with me. Dear Lord, you are my father in heaven. You've blessed me so much. And God, you gave me a dad that I learned so much from. And a lot of it was ways I wanted to be, but some other situations, it was things I didn't want to be and things I didn't want to do. But in both sides, you taught me and you blessed me with the experiences you gave me. And Lord, I just pray that you would put within each of the men and even the young men in this building, in this place, and those who are watching, listening later on audio or video, that you would put within each of us this desire to impact the world as your spirit works through us, that we reflect you, that we give honor and glory to you, that we impact that next generation in your name. God, we pray and we ask all these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, this is our time.